Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answer to. I'm Vib. And I'm Sean. And neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Now, before we move on, let's award the much-vaunted Expertise is Overrated Tinfoil Award. As a reminder, this is an award that we give out at the start of each episode to the person who had the most ridiculous point in last week's episode. Uh, not so much a point, I guess, more as just like, you're not a fan of my right viewpoints. Feeling pretty good about this one. Yeah, I, I mean, fine. I, I spaffed a lot of bullshit all over our last episode, and yet somehow. Somehow, me being a fan of the primordial Annihilator um, has got me tinfoil. So I, th- I think it's just. We spent quite a lot of time, and we need to move on. We spent quite a lot of time last episode talking about how everyone in the 40k universe is terrible, didn't we? Yes. And yet you somehow seem to be a, a fan of the most terrible by a considerable Look, all, margin. all I said, right, was that the Tyranids are probably not that evil. I think I may have at one point said that Nurgle wasn't evil. can't remember if that was last episode or many episodes ago. I think you've got that on a t-shirt, mate. Um, yes. That would actually be a great idea. Merch, question mark? No. <laughs> yes, but not that one. Uh, yes, okay, I'll, I'll take the tinfoil hat for that. Um, in the confidence that I'm going to be handing it straight back to you for what is bound oh, to be is. an hour's worth of absolute nonsense of the as, highest order. As overweight men up and down the country are chanting, it is coming home. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm proud of yeah. that one. We're talking about something that's, that's, else entirely. That's off the cuff and everything. Sure it is. But yes, this is the fourth of our patented hot take episodes so as a quick reminder the format will be slightly different rather than our usual brand of raising stuff we know nothing about in a hot take one of us will present an unusual or unpopular way of looking at a well-known fictional situation the other will attempt to sit quietly and let them explain their reasoning before inevitably losing their cool and the episode descending into petty name calling ah you see now i've I've actually got ahead of the game here you're gonna get your name calling in early no, I've got a chamomile tea, which I think is the first time ever on episode while I'm recording that I'm drinking tea, a, eh? and let alone chamomile, because I need to calm my nerves. I already know that. Um, I'm drinking I'm drinking wine. This is going to go great. Essentially, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drink this tea. I'm going to put something on the background, like a TV show or something, and I'm just going to tune out for the next hour. I'm afraid that's not, not going to happen. Ah, shit. Okay. Um, I mean, as, as you might have guessed, listener, it's... Unfortunately, Sean's turn to do a hot take. So if you leave us here, we won't be offended. I mean, I'll be slightly offended. Yeah, but you went there. <laughs> anyway, so here we go with the hot take. Edmure Tully is the victim of a gratuitous character assassination, both by the showrunners of the acclaimed TV series Game of Thrones and more widely by the fandom of A Song of Ice and Fire at large. And over the course of the next 45 minutes, I will prove this. Ah, good. 
Do we really have to do this? Uh, you see, you say that, but I think the problem that we actually have is that this is a point of such self-evidence that it almost goes without saying. And I think I'm speaking to the one person who may not agree with me. So, in the vein of great teachers from history, I'm going to adopt a slightly different method here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to prove this to our listeners through clever use of questions, answers, and rhetoric. Sure. <laughs> is, is this just a really long-winded way of saying you were too fucking lazy to write down a script? No, not at all. Uh, yeah, I think it may have been. It's not laziness. It's total laziness. It's not laziness. <laughs> I think you've taken that, that little technique from me. Last hot take that I did, I essentially did one that we both agreed on. So... <laughs> So, you know what? That's fair enough. You can make me do all the heavy lifting as per usual. Oh, dear. No, I, I generally thought we'd lost you. Um, so, good luck editing all this mess. I'll just, I'll just cut it. <laughs> That's amazing. You were just muted. I really thought you'd lost connection. No, that was last week. I, I, was, I was just muted. I um, started with low blood sugar again. So, I've been trying to... Like, Sneak some sweets while you've been talking. Oh, good. I forgot to unmute. This is going to be great. It's going to be, it's be so such an easy fight. Can I take it then from your reaction that you do not agree with me that Edmure Mortali was the victim of a vicious character assassination and is in fact the true hero of A Song of Ice and Fire, Brandon Stark notwithstanding? Um, no, I agree with virtually everything you've just said. Well, thanks for listening to yeah. this. <laughs> uh, no, I, mm, character assassination. Ah, no, character that's, assassination. that's too strong a word because he's he's a useless character in the books as well as in the TV show. He's barely really relevant in in both. Um, so to talk of a character assassination would be doing him, you know, giving him way too much credit. You see, I think that that's an un- that's an unfair characterization entirely. I think that what Ed Tully exists to do. And this has been entirely misinterpreted by the fandom and the showrunners, in part due to the fault of George R. R. Martin, as he exists to show us what leadership in Westeros should look like. Actually, I've stunned you into silence. Oh, no, I'm just walking away. Oh, fair enough. I guess, what does it mean? This is the start of my Socratic method. What does it mean to be a feudal ruler? I don't know, Sean. What does it mean to be a feudal ruler? That's not how this works. (laughs) Oh, it could be, couldn't it? (laughs) It could be a nice hour of back and forth. What do you think it means? If you're not going to play ball, then I'll just have to talk for an hour. Yes. Damn it, I thought that threat would work. Anyway. (laughs) I, I existed to, to prove you wrong, not to about, prove myself right. I was about to complain that you were not helping, and then I remembered that that's the point. So yes, it really rather is, isn't it? <laughs> what I would argue is that Edmund Tully exists as a pure example of the classical ideal of a feudal ruler. Now, what I mean by that, I mean, you can see this quite clearly in some of the excerpts about him in A Clash of Kings in particular. The, the, the 
paragraph that stands out most to me at least and i'd be interested genuinely interested in your view on this is when we see Catelyn Tunney return to River Run, sorry, Catelyn Stark return to River Run, and it's absolutely rammed full of small folk. She looks around and she says, "Oh, where, who are these people? Why are they here?" And Edmure, her younger brother and heir to River Run, and indeed acting lord in Hostetelli's illness, says, "Well, they were—they are my people." And they were afraid. And Catelyn looks upon this as a, a statement of weakness and sort of Edmure has let his empathy get the better of him. But I argue that that, in fact, is true leadership. That is what a feudal lord exists to do. He levies taxes of his peasants, taxes of his peasants levying taxis of your peasants would be an entirely different mode of rulership (laughs) (laughs) and in return because you are the one capable of raising an army and bearing arms you protect the small folk during times of strife whether that be winter as we see in the north or because the river lands are just Westeros's battlefield times of war, times of conflict. So that is that is leadership right there. That is the example of leadership. I think one of the best that we see in A Song of Ice and Fire, that sort of, that is the way his brain works. That is the way his, excuse me, that is the way his soul turns when presented with people in need. He looks to help them. And he's one of the few lords in Westeros that we see who does this. No. I mean... Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the, the sieges that happened in A Song of Ice and Fire, and there's, there's not really many that I remember. We don't. To be honest, we, there, we there's don't. not that many that... that... I, no, not really. We hear of the Siege of Storm's End during Robert's rebellion where mace tyrell and mathis rowan no lord redwine i think sort of lay siege to storm's end and stannis ends up eating cats and stuff but no we don't hear of many true sieges the counter argument i guess and i'm gonna have to obviously draw on the much superior work set in westeros which is the game of thrones tv show (laughs) Because we know it's excellent. Better than other than this small flaw of character assassinating Abiotelli, flawless. No, they just emphasised him correctly. He's very nuanced in the show. Um, no, but I guess there is one example we see in the TV show, if I'm remembering correctly, where a lord um, gathers the small folk in the keep, and I think it's to stop Daenerys from burning said keep. That's in the in King's Landing, isn't it? Yes. In, in season and Really what Edmure Tully is doing is hiding behind his small folk because he's afraid for his own life. I don't think that's fair, given that he's facing um, Tywin Lannister, who's famous, obviously, for his mercy. <clears throat> yes. Oh, sorry, that was, that was sarcasm. Tywin Lannister famously not possessing of a shred of 
mercy. Yes, but you're assuming that Edmund Tully's smart enough to have realised that. It's sort of Tywin Lannister's defining characteristic. Yeah, but Edmund's defining characteristic is he's just a bit of a bumbling idiot, really. So I think that, that I, I think that is the accepted characterization, and I think it's really unfair. I think he's young. Sure, yes, that that's the premise of this episode. <laughs> You've so far not yes. convinced anyone of this. I, I think he's young. I, I and I think he is potentially slightly short-sighted, which is the point that Cat makes in relation to bringing all of the peasants into River Run. The point that she makes is that they're just more mouths to feed. So he, he's essentially lessened his own chances by attempting to save these people. Well, but I think the chances of, of his um, say realm, that's not really the right word, is it? His domain? The, 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 I think the term is domain. The, the Riverlands, essentially. Yes. Because, I mean, you have to ensure the survival of the feudal lord to make sure that your lands are kept in check, right? But what point, what's the point of a feudal lord if there's no one to rule? Oh, there'll be I plenty think, of people to I rule. I think Edmure understands this better than just about anyone else, that he exists as part of a delicate ecosystem, a delicate balance oh, between has the lords and the small folk. And contingent upon that is his acting to preserve the small folk. That's absolute nonsense. Tywin Lannister is not is not a fool, right? No. I'm sure we can all agree on that. And I'm pretty sure he sees absolutely no reason in, in just murdering small folk by the by the droves as in to but such he, an extent that so many of said that you can't do anything with the land I, after. No, he does, he does. I, I completely disagree. He sends Sir Gregor Clegane and Amory Lorch to set fire to the Riverlands from the Trident to the God's Eye. That he has absolutely no interest in preserving the small folk of the Riverlands. He his whole shtick in during the, his campaign in the Riverlands is to cause as much death, destruction, and mayhem as possible. Oh no, setting fire to the Riverlands. Well, I mean, they're quite wet, so it'd probably get better. But <laughs> um, no, okay, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vicious campaign of Chevrochet that. Yes, which is met by an incompetent idiot who all he can think to do is sit behind his walls. Because he isn't he trapping isn't his own possession. people there. No, no he isn't in possession of a force capable of matching Tywin Lannister. He has to wait for Rob. Rob turns up and puts Tywin Lannister to flight. Which siege are we talking about? Is this the one that Jamie leads? No, 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 no. This is this is well this is Rob still alive at this point. So this is right at the start. Yeah, but Jamie is the one who besieges River Run. Is Jamie the one who besieges River? Sorry, you're absolutely Is that that it's... I think is is the prelude to the Whispering Wood. You've got the Battle of the Camps which happens after the Whispering Wood. But I think ooh, you might be right. No, you are right. Sorry, Jamie leads that siege as well. Jamie besieges River Run twice. That's what was confusing me. Yeah, because where is Tywin? Tywin's just sort of in the field, isn't he? Tywin is in the field. Jamie is acting under Tywin's orders in besieging River Run, trapping Edmure there. And Tywin meets Roose Bolton at the Green oh, yeah. Fork. 
and defeats Roose Bolton at the Green Fork. But Jamie is routed. Sorry, Jamie's captured in the Whispering Wood by Rob, and then his forces at the camps are routed, lifting the siege of Riverrun, and Tywin takes Harrenhal. And then sits in Harrenhal. Yes. That's that's True. that's the, the passage that I'm talking about. Yeah, but so your your point is because he acts like a faithful or like not faithful, like a um benevolent lord. Okay, More sure. Than, we can yeah. put that to one side, but but is that something that the TV show gets wrong? I don't think it emphasizes it. It turned the TV show has Tobias Menzies play as you've completely put it, a bumbling idiot. There's a, there's quite a lot wrong with the portrayal. Big part of it, I think, is the age. But this is a sort of putting aside that Game of Thrones is a perfect piece of TV. I think this is something that it gets wrong, sort of across the book. Tobias Menzies is far too old. Edmure Tully is younger than we are. He's like, yeah, but so is virtually everyone else in uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Tr- true, but he's, I think, somewhere between twenty. 24 and 28 during a clash of kings so he's considerably less experienced than someone like tywin or even someone like jamie so you could sort of look at his actions and say well those were naive and i think it might be right to do so especially when you look at the stone mill which i think we're likely to come on to but he's not this sort of useless bumbling idiot he's a well-meaning benevolent lord who seeks the best for his people and i don't think there's many lords in a song of ice and fire of whom that can be said ned maybe but ned has some pretty serious failings of his own holy shit that's the hot take you should have done <laughs> where the fuck has that come from right, to be to be fair ned, <laughs> ned, ned has very few failings ned has, that's not true My word, that's a sizzling hot take there <laughs> that is precisely one failing, and that's that he doesn't understand his own political role in King's Landing. Yeah, no, that that is quite a central tenet of his character, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, oh, my I, good, my good. Sorry, I, I very nearly veered into insanity there. I just wanted to talk about Ned for a second because it really amuses me. The whole search for John Aaron's killer is flawed, but more than that, when he's trying to get um, Sir Hugh of the Vale to come and talk to him. And he sends Jory, and Jory comes back and is like, oh, you won't talk to me. I'm just a captain of the guard, and he's a knight. The correct response there is for Ned to send Jory back with 20 guard and go, you were summoned by the hand of the king. Get yourself to the fucking tower. Yeah. Rather than be like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And Ned just continually fails to appreciate his own power, especially with an absentee king like Robert. But that's by the by. But he's the only other. Yeah. Lord, I would venture, from whom you see this sort of genuine care for the people that they purport to rule. Everyone else seems yeah, to be you, you, for you, what you, they have. And I you've, think that, you've sort of got Daenerys's pretense of it, at least. It's. I don't know that it's a pretense with Danny, but it's very different. And Danny never loses sight of what she considers to be her birthright. And that is her absolutely driving tenet. Whereas I don't think it is for Edmure. Edmure is all yeah. about duty. He's all about 
self-sacrifice, essentially. You see this at the Red Wedding, where he unhappily, but willingly, more than willingly, agrees to marry Rosalind Frey to clean up Rob's mess. He'd be well within his rights to be much more of an arsehole about it. Yeah. And he just he just doesn't. Again, he's he, he recognizes that this is the best way to ensure peace. Now granted he's wrong because Walder Frey is an idiot, but you know, sure, but I, I'm still not entirely sure that you're doing uh, that you're giving any credence to a character assassination having actually occurred. I'm okay, trying to so think back to, to the first time we see Edmure Tully in the TV show. Is is it the misses, funeral? He misses the shot at the funeral. Yeah, which does also happen in the book. Which does happen in the books, but it's treated completely differently in the books. It yeah, because he, he's essentially just. You're grieving, right? I guess is, is probably the best way of putting it. It's grief, and also the blackfish behaves completely differently. And I think the real problem that Ed Muir suffers from is he's allowed to be the butt of jokes to allow other characters to look cool. So at Hoster's funeral, we see the blackfish make the shot and then like slam the bow into Ed Muir's chest and walk off. Whereas in the books, Hoster not Hoster, um, Brynden takes Edmure to one side and goes, Hoster couldn't hit it when our father died. Like, this is fine. It's okay. You know, you lost your father. It's okay to be grieving. Sure, and then you yeah. got the stuff. Then you, I just think... And you but see that, that could just be a change in character of, of the Blackfish's character, rather. But it, it could be but it's done at the expense of Edmure's character. And you see it more, well, not more, but again, in The Great Council in season eight with the classic sit-down uncle line, which is given to Sansa when they're, you know, Edmure starts to make his case to be king. And Edmure, of everyone sitting around that council, Edmure has far and away the better, the best not claim to rule, because none of them have a claim to rule, but sort of cause, essentially. He is the best place to be king from a having-been-raised-to-it perspective. But that's given no credence, no thought, no... um, It's not taken seriously. And instead, we just get a, a yippee moment for Sansa being like waspishly, you know, sit down, uncle. And then he sits down sheepishly rather than saying, shut the fuck up, little girl. I, just, I, I mean, it, this, this, this would all be a fair point if you weren't quoting or, or using material from what might be one of the worst seasons of T ever produced. But that's my point. Mm, no, I, I, I'm not going to allow that. I thought I thought season eight was flawless, though. It, it, well, <laughs> it is. We're this to, we're of course, that to of course it is. I'm speaking very sarcastically. Of course, it's fantastic, yeah. and Edmure is clearly represented 100 percent accurately in it. No, but the onus is on you to prove this character assassination in seasons one through five. Oh, I, I, I can't 
use the later seasons, can I? No, not at all. I mean, to be fair, he's barely in any of them, isn't he? Well, no. So I've got I've got two scenes in that case. <laughs> what, three? Yes, you were the one who picked the hot take. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be so hidebound. Because I mean, um, you can't you can't just because then then your hot take is just that um, David Banioff and DB Weiss are terrible writers, which is not a hot take. No, to be fair, that's not particularly. That's hot. That's, that's just a take. It's not even a take. It's just true. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. The, the onus is on you that, that, that George R. R. Martin's screenwriting assassinates Ed Tully. Martin didn't do that much screenwriting. It's still deep. Yeah, it's many 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 off and worse, yeah. Right. I think I th- I think I think I've sort of twenty five minutes in, I think I've sort of made the case, right? It's 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 that we don't see any of the depth of character of Edmure that you get from his comparatively few scenes in the books. And it, I always come back to that one when the, the, the siege of the camps is lifted and Cat's walking through River Run and surrounded by all these people. And Ed, Edmure's perfectly simple explanation for why River Run is absolutely rammed full of people is because they were my people and they were scared and I I don't you don't get any of that from the TV show at all you get no sense that he's anything other than an entitled brat who's been sitting around waiting for his father to die so he can be Lord of River Run and that's not the character in the books at all the character in the books is absolutely devastated by the death of his father. Edmure Tully was expecting to be Lord of Riveron in 20 years' time. He's not in a position to rule, but he takes to it because that's what's expected of him and that's what's needed of him. He bows his head to his nephew because that's what's right for his realm. He makes huge sacrifices. Mm. Does he... We can he's remember um, Brendan Blackwater and Rob telling him off for the Battle of the Fords. Uh, the Battle of the Stone Mill is the one you were thinking of. No, no, there's a quote literally right here from Brendan Blackfish. I am the last man in the Seven Kingdoms to tell anyone who they must wed, nephew. Nonetheless, you did say something of making amends for your Battle of the Fords. I think that is... Well, this, I think that might be the one that becomes the Stone Mill in... Uh, in the show, this is the battle where he essentially doesn't. Oh no, you're absolutely right. Sorry, it's where he, doesn't let, he beats Tywin. That's the that's he the weird thing about Tywin it. Across the forward, but he. Some would argue. Acts rashly. That's a difficult one, and not in the best interest of his people. But he because he, he clearly doesn't wait for reinforcements, which would be surely to his to his advantage. But he wins, so he didn't need the reinforcements. Oh he come believes- on! You can't you can't do a sort of post hoc means, you know, means it was all fine. We're not, this is not some no, sort of fate bullshit. But but the the no, that's not that's not my point at all. The issue with the Battle of the Fords is that Rob and Brendan had a plan that required Tywin to cross the Fords, trapping essentially trapping him. Yes, and they didn't tell. Edmure, 
why he had his orders. They only told him what his orders were. Now, I agree that Edmure should have followed the orders that he was given. But absent the context of those orders, he is a Lord Paramount of the Seven Kingdoms. He answers essentially to rob and rob alone, but he is functionally a king in his own right. It behooves Rob to let a commander of that stature, especially one upon whom such an important tactical consideration hinges, into his council close enough that they can understand why they have to do what they do. The why do you think Rob doesn't? Because Rob is an idiot. Because Rob is a 16-year-old boy. Sorry, it's uh, idiot is, is strong. Rob is a 16-year-old boy. You don't think it's that even in the books, Rob and his counsellor said, there's no need to tell Edmure anything because he's a bit of an idiot. Just tell him what he needs to do. No, I, it may well be that that's what the counsellor said, but I think that's fundamentally misguided on the part of Rob and his counsellors. Even if Edmure is an idiot, which I don't accept. Rob doesn't rule like Tywin. So Tywin, in that circumstance, would punish Edmure. Right? He would say, I gave you an order, you didn't follow the order to the letter, so I'm going to punish you. Whatever that punishment might be. I mean, he put the reins in the tarmax to the sword, so we can sort of imagine. Rob doesn't rule like that. Rob is much more conciliatory in his manner of rule. And as a result... He is trusted by his bannermen in a way that Tywin, I don't think, is. But the corollary and the sort of converse of that is that Rob has to trust his bannermen as well. Now, he doesn't need to tell everyone everything. If you're not the one told to guard the fords, then, you know, fine. You don't need to know that actually we want Tywin to cross the, the water. But if a crucial tactical element of your plan requires Tywin to cross the river and you send someone to guard the river, you've got to tell them they've got to let Tywin cross. How do you not? It's insane. It's so bad. It's a huge tactical blunder on the part of Rob and the Blackfish. No, it's it's not. Because orders were given and orders were not followed. No, I, and, and I agree, I, I do not hold Edmure blameless in all of this. But I do also significantly blame Rob and the Blackfish, because... Oh, no, that, I mean, that that is a different argument. And you may be not entirely wrong for blaming them, partly. <laughs> But equally, I, I think I think it just highlights a character a character trait of Edmund is that he's young, yeah, young and a bit with huge foolish. shoes to fill. He's seeking to fill Hostetali's shoes, which aren't particularly small, no, that, and that's that's completely fine. But the point is that he's seen, is shown to be acting young and foolish in the books, and they just emphasize that in a slightly different way in the TV show because they did cast someone. Entirely different. Twice Menzies is about 54 years old. Yeah, so instead of, instead of them making Edmund Tully seem foolish because he's young, they seem, they're just making him foolish because he's an idiot. But I think I think that's a huge disservice. I think young and inexperienced is so different from a doddering old fool. And I know, obviously, Twice Menzies doesn't play a doddering old fool, but like he's pompous. That's the best word for it, I think, 
in in the show. He's phenomenally sort of self righteous and pompous, and I don't get the sense that that is Edmure's fault. Edmure's Edmure's flaw. Sorry, Edmure's flaw is that he is scared that everyone's going to discover he's not his father. And that's that's so different. That's such a different flaw, apart from anything else, because that flaw is easily overcomable. And Edmure proves every day he's not his father, he just can't see it, and that's tragic. But I know you won't appreciate that, because you have no heart. I, I do, thank you very much. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be dead. Had, it, had, it, had my heart beat measured the other day, and it was perfectly fine. It beats at like 40 beats a minute, that's more that's than enough. <laughs> vaguely impressive, actually. Uh, well, not so much now, 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 because uh, I'm... The, the caramel tea has run out, I'm afraid, so blood <laughs> pressure is rising. Uh, no, think... So far, you've not really convinced me of a character assassination having taken place. You've convinced me that there are perhaps some nuanced differences between the books and the TV show. But but I, I think we can... I don't think... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the character traits are somewhat reminiscent of each other in, in, in both forms of media. Um, but the reasoning for them, I guess, is different as, as you, I, as you I, put it. Now. I, I think I think that's that's the point. So the flaws manifest in very similar ways, and the Battle of the Fords is a good example of this. But their sources are so different, and it's those sources that depend on whether that make the determination. Sorry, as to whether or not Ed Muir is an empathetic character or not. And, and, and Tobias Menzies is, for all that I think he's a phenomenal actor, he's not an empathetic Edmure. You you don't want Edmure to succeed. When you we come to season eight, and obviously apparently I'm not allowed to use season eight as evidential, but <laughs> for reasons I don't quite understand. Well, let's put it this way, because if you use season eight to prove a point that the TV show does something wrong, then the universe will end because season eight is perfect. Oh, true. So I'm, I'm I'm saving the world by making sure you can't use season eight. That's fair. That's fair. No, I appreciate you making that sacrifice on behalf of all of us. Yes, yeah. Because if you I are, could use are. season eight, I could end this episode in about five minutes, but instead you've got to sit through <laughs> the remaining half an hour. Maybe we, we, we can maybe give that a go uh, when we come towards the end of the episode. Risk, risk uh, a universal annihilation. Simply to make a point to the podcast. Simply to make a point, yes. I've completely forgot. You've derailed me magnificently there. Well done. Yes, get in. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens when you don't write down your hot takes, folks. Yeah, this is this is true. This is this is. I I think I'm doing remarkably well to say that I my notes exist exclusively in my head. To be fair, yes, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with your efforts so far. I mean, rubbish as, as the points have been. I don't, I don't know that I was ever actually going to convince you of this, given that the, the point of a hot take is you not being convinced. Exactly, but, it, but I do take some pity on you because you know you're 
you have a, a baby at home who's teething, so that's surely not fun for anyone involved. It's it's really difficult. I was going to, I was going to write my script yesterday while she napped, and then she napped rather rather than for an hour, she napped for twenty five minutes, and I was just like, well. But you know what that proves fun. Uh, is that even you know even a baby could realize that your point was stupid, and she she very kindly made you not waste your time on writing such drivel. I, I don't think that's what that proves. I think it is. Once <laughs> once she speaks English, which I'm hoping is in like a couple of weeks, um, we will ask her, and she'll say, "Oh yes, of course, it's because." Oh yeah, no, I, I knew that's what was going to happen. <laughs> How upset would you be if um, if your child agreed with me on like virtually Anything every point we ever talked ever. about? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be really upsetting. Um, and I know I need to ensure that that doesn't happen <laughs> by setting her, setting her against you at every possible opportunity. <laughs> oh dear, we've caused some sort of bizarre war. Um, okay, right, have you got any more your... points for us before I derail this episode even more? That's it, Mortali. Uh, do I have any more points? Just, just to bring it back to the the fray wedding. Um, Ed Mortali marrying uh, Rosalind. <laughs> the the not fray. completely hideous one, yes. Apparently, she's vaguely pretty. Like, yeah, I think that was the 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 the, the thing, right? That yeah, she was yeah. one of Walder's. <laughs> she's <laughs> better looking daughter? one. Grand, who knows with all the fray? There's just granddaughter or daughter or maybe both. Because the range of ages for his daughters is also quite astonishing, isn't it? It's quite quite distressing. Uh, but no. So the point there is that you know, as Lord Paramount of the Riverlands, Edmure Tully would be well within his rights to choose a wife that is necessary for him to cement house alliances you know marry a bracken or a blackwood or a i mean there aren't really any houses in the riverlands a, a malister but or indeed someone from the north to cement a sort of cross-border alliance like that but he doesn't he, rob says i need you to marry a fray because i couldn't keep it in my trousers while i was very sad so would you mind marrying a fray for me? And he goes, well, that's a bit unfair. But yeah, all right. I think that's, again, putting the needs of others before himself. His only question is, would it be all right if I see her before I marry her? And I think that's a joke. I think that's Edmure Tully making light of the situation to make everyone else feel better. God, you do have an active imagination, don't you? <laughs> You do have an active imagination. I mean, the counter-argument, of course, is that, that, that Rob did what he did, also for the good of his people. You know, long-term thinking on his part by trying to form a, an alliance between the North and the Westerlands. That's... By marrying a Westerling. And that's just, that's just that's... future-proofing. Uh, and that's as a result, definitely... Edmure just displayed a, a complete lack of flexibility. Um... You know, he should have been fully prepared for this. 
He should have kept the phrase under control. <laughs> That's one way of looking at Rob's marriage to Jane Westerling. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you, in this episode so far, you've, you've nearly insinuated that Ned is not beyond reproach. Are you going to come dangerously close to saying Rob also has flaws? Rob does have flaws. Oh my goodness! We should, this, why is this not your hot take? Just assassinate the the whole Stark family while you're at it. You're the one who doesn't like the Starks. No, I, I always said the, the the key to winning anything in Westeros is to kill all the Starks because they're so <laughs> goddamn good. Um, no, I mean Rob's Rob's marriage to Jane Westerling is childish fundamentally. Um, okay come on it's very easy to understand why he does it especially because given that he grew up with uh john and he saw the impact of bastardry on john and he doesn't want to run the risk of jane becoming pregnant and and giving birth to his bastard yes but he you know now he had a long-term plan an alliance with the Westerlands. He was always going to turn around on Walder and kick the ever-living shit out of the phrase, because I don't think anyone in the Seven... Maybe even in Essos would disagree that the phrase are a complete waste of space. If that's true, why doesn't he see the Red Wedding coming? Yeah, that, that you know... It might be that you're insinuating that Rob is not perfect. No, I think that's just the horrors of war have led him to make one tiny little mistake and... Uh, Get beheaded, get his entire army killed, get his mother killed, and his uncle imprisoned. Yes, but his his mother's killing was ultimately a success, wasn't it? She is successfully dead. Yes. Uh, Lady Stoneheart. <laughs> Lady Stoneheart is dead. The fact that it didn't stick doesn't stop her from being dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we just? Uh, how much of a shame is it that we didn't get Lady Stoneheart in there? Just a show. complete shambles. That that's an assassination. That's a it's a proper assassination because she's <laughs> yeah. not in it at all. A genuinely proper assassination. But you get the sense that Benny Offenweiss just didn't like any of the magic in a Game of Thrones other than dragons. Because they don't really engage with any of it at all. You've got none, none of the sort of ephemeral deep magic that you see like with Stoneheart or I'm trying to think of other stuff there's just sort of you don't get the ghost of high heart you don't get the sort of the links between Blood Raven and the Three-Eyed Crow none of that are in there because they're deep and complicated there's no sense of Jojen paste which is a shame because that's really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, it does. You know, no, we get we get shadow babies and we get dragons. That's it. Shadow babies, dragons, and uh, perfectly clear and accurate and cogent visions of the past that tell Bran exactly what he needs to know and nothing more. <laughs> yeah. but that surely is because Bran is uh, is perfect in every single way. Oh, you want a, you want a real hot take? <laughs> Forty-five minutes in, Bran is the villain of a song of ice and fire, and the hero. 
It's yeah, too no, we're saving that one for another day. I, I really can't be asked with that level of bullshit today. No, it's that's too that's too much. That, that's too me. much. That's too much. Uh, I mean, what is your motivation ultimately for coming to Ed Tully's defense? I feel sorry for him. I, I feel sorry for this character, this fictional character in a work of fantasy, because I think. I don't know why. I think Wh- whose I'm, end we don't know. <laughs> whose end we don't know. Um, one hopes that he lives a long and happy life with his son and wife. Wouldn't it be um, funny if George Martin turned around and made him king of the Seven Kingdoms? I mean, he does. Coming to, can I talk about season eight? No. As we as we wrap up, uh, I'm, I'm going to have my lawyer on standby just in case there's some. Uh, What's the word? Slander, I suppose. I think I think I'm your lawyer. <laughs> no, please, I've got good lawyers. <sighs> Seems unlikely. They're, they're essentially Again. just you, but a year older. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> um, no, also of everyone at the Great Council, he has the best case, surely, to be king in the wake of. Um, uh, remind me who, of, who's who's there. Uh, you've got Sam. I mean, uh, obviously, already a fantastic choice for king. Except he's a maester, so can't be king. Bound and Jane. Yeah, I mean, but kings are also not elected. I'm sure they can stretch the laws a little. <laughs> bit. He'd need to be he'd need to be released from his maester's oath by whichever uh, who if it was high septon is left. Uh, you've got Sansa and Arya and Bran. You've got a Martell child, or you've got Robin Aaron, I think. And I'm sure. Well, and, yeah. And... Which which Martell is even there? It's just some random stand-in, isn't it? Really? Is it a Martell? There must be a Martell. Must be a Martell, but there must also be a, a Reach man who isn't Sam. Surely. I think Sam is the representative of the Reach. Because everyone in the Reach is kind First, of dead. Firstborn son of Randall Tyrell, who is like Mace Tyrell's second. Because they don't have Willis or Garland, obviously. Yeah, and Dickon is... <laughs> Dickon, Dick, Dickon got burned. <laughs> he got so burned. Um, yeah, and so yeah, the Vale of the North. There's no one from there. the Iron Islands. Well, no. Is there? Uh, no, Yara's there. Actually, Yara is Yara. there, you're right. Yara is there. Um... You've got Tyrion and John, obviously, and Grey Worm as well. So, so the problem ultimately is that out of all those, there is just not one good option. Well, the real problem is there's no adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than Tyrion and um, what's his name? Uh, Edmure. Grey Worm. <laughs> no, Grey Worm's a child. Grey Worm's like seventeen. By the end of that. Well, I mean, uh, no, because we're not, we are not talking TV show, right? Uh, yeah. I think the ages were all sort of thrown out of the window about season six it's or seven. Room. So Grey Room's, what, 20? Maybe. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I sort of feel like Daenerys and Sansa and all these people were like, their actual relative ages in season one, and then come season five, they'd all age like 30 years somehow. Yeah, no, it was San- Sansa in particular goes through a sort of she goes from fifteen to twenty-five over the course of like three days. Yeah, 
it's really weird. It's like it's like the writers were like, oh yeah, this is kind of weird. So let's just make everyone. Yeah, we, <laughs> we'd quite we'd quite like to sex these characters up a bit, but we've established that they're children. How about if they weren't? Yeah, it's quite funny. Yeah, so I mean, okay, so your your point that out of out of that motley crew, you'd pick Ed Tully. Yes. Hmm. There are there are no good options. Yeah, it's not it's not completely unreasonable. The the issue, I guess, is that you can't crown anyone from the Riverlands King of the Seven Kingdoms. That's just it's just quite that's silly. Just insulting. It's quite silly, and I, and I grant you that. But in terms of making a genuine case to rule beyond, I have this or that relationship to either Robert or the Targs. He is the best. He was raised to rule in a way that no one else there other really was. Tyrion? Tyrion wasn't raised to rule. Tyrion was hated. Tyrion is the other potential option, but you have a huge public image problem with Tyrion. In that he's considered... What, that you don't have with Bran? Bran, Bran is a... not a dwarf... No, but he's a cripple who's also weird as fuck when you talk to him by that he point. He's weird as fuck. He's also <laughs> like psychic, so he won't he'll never have any um talk, talk about a public image problem. Interns are not easier and safer as a You don't have a public image problem from someone who can control the minds of everyone in the kingdom. Yeah, Tyrion can do that. He just does it non psychically. <laughs> Yeah, I, think, I, think, I must say, I... I think Tyrion is your other option there. Though I think that's, I think that is a fair statement. Um, but I think he well, has. Well, the Martell—it's it's just that that's such a. But the Dornish are hated across the Seven Kingdoms, though they're like second-class citizens everywhere outside Dorne. You still got the hang-ups from all the various Dornish wars. Yes, that's true. That's which is a problem. Um, and they also don't want it. Now, I must say that I think your point is obviously bollocks. But. Um, and it's also been badly made. But I, I, I do agree with you that I really hated how they treated Edmure, specifically in that scene. Sit, sit down, uncle is absolutely egregious. It's just, that's just, there's just no need for it. And it's an example of the fucking awful writing of that show. Yeah. Um, perfect though it is because you can do that a completely different way you can make the case that although Edmure may be good and true and pure of heart and raised to it and all of that there's no way of being sure that his children will be the same and, the, and, and, and putting Bran in and this idea of becoming an elective monarchy circumvents that problem which is the problem that Tyrion makes when Sansa outs Bran as being infertile, which one? How does she know? Like, but also rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Brian, yes. Brian can't have children, and Brand's sitting there going, uh, "How do you? Know? Why would you? I'm only twelve. <laughs> yeah, gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah." So I do think Edmure... He gets he gets done dirty in that scene. 
Yeah, especially because yeah, you have a point that you just you just come across as sort of caring and kind in, in in the books, and you do think that if Book Edmure is in that situation, I think he wouldn't. I think he wouldn't even stand. I think he'd be perfectly happy to just go back to to the Riverlands and, and take care of the people there. I think that's true. I think that is true. I, I question whether he might think he should. This idea of I don't want to do. <laughs> Those best suited to rule are those who don't want to. Um, oh, is that another quote by Gandalf, is it? No. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, he's so unsure. I don't think that's a quote at all. It's pretty much verbatim Dumbledore, but yes. With, uh, oops. I didn't, mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to quote anyone. <laughs> Anyway, this might fly in your courtrooms, all this niche knowledge that you possess, but it doesn't work here. I think you'll find it's actually Caliborn, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This will decide tinfoil, won't it? <laughs> um, but what was I saying? I, I think I think you might see a sort of self-sacrificing Edmure recognise that he doesn't want to do it, but of everyone there... He is he is the best option, and so he sort of feel almost duty bound to put himself forward before Bran gets in his head and stops him from saying it, so that Bran could be king. Yeah. Now it'd be interesting to see what uh, what happens to Edmure's character going forward because currently he's nothing in jail. I think is he in jail? Is he under house arrest? Because Jamie threatens to throw his baby over the walls of River Run in a trebuchet. Does he do that in the books? Oh, I don't remember. No, Edmure is at Casterly Rock. Is Edmure at Casterly Rock? That yes. seems unsafe. Yes. Oh, he's going to die when Tyrion takes Casterly Rock, isn't he? He is going to die. Oh, that was going to happen, and then that that instantly disproves your point that he's at all relevant to the series. Um, Baby. I must say, every time we do a song of ice and fire, you and I, it, you and I look at a song of ice and fire so differently. <laughs> yes, I look at it correctly, uh, but every time we talk about a song of ice and fire, because it's been such a long time um, since I actually read the books properly and yes I did read these ones you'll, you'll be pleased to know um, that's why I don't understand them at all um, that must have taken you a while ah yeah a couple of days really those books are like crack I don't know what it is but I told myself that I'm not going to bother rereading all of them until the new one comes out so naturally I'm never going to reread them um, and so I have to spend uh, some time on the wikis to, to refresh my memory as to yeah. what's going on and the sheer number of names and characters that, it's, even on a wiki page, come up and like, who the hell are these people? It's so... I don't... I almost don't want to call it deep, because I'm not... It is in some ways, but it's also just like, why reuse a character if you can invent a new one? There's... There's an element of that, although I always got the impression as I was reading, that 
they they did serve a purpose and they kind of made sense, right? I, I don't I don't know how it's possible that I read all those names once upon a time and and sort of took them for granted and was like, yeah, that makes sense. Whereas now, when you're sort of confronted with them in in a summary page, it's just it's just mind-boggling. Why are, there, why are there Blackwoods and why are there Wents and why are there Malisters and Pipers and Vances? All these families that we know of are somehow relevant. I mean, I, I, <laughs> it's just annoying. I think the theory is to make the world feel, you know, deep and lived in and vibrant and all of these nice words, but it sort of just makes it exhausting. Yes, and it, it very much lends itself to one of my favourite arguments about why the numbers don't make sense. <laughs> and okay. maybe one day we'll talk about that. In, in I want I want to do that for I want to do that for forty k because I was reading something on Reddit about why the numbers don't make sense in forty k and it amused me. Oh well, forty k is the perfect example. But I feel yeah. even the song of ice and fire at this point it becomes like that because there are so many nobles. That you have to wonder what the population of Westeros is. You're talking millions, if not billions, of people at this rate. Assuming a sort it's of relative, this... a relative um, frequency or an expected frequency of nobles amongst the people. And I don't know what that expected frequency is, and that's a good question, to be fair. Um... If, you, if you take the sort of real estate, right? You take the Riverlands, not that big ultimately. You've got a Lord Paramount, you've got an untold number of lords. That's already huge numbers of people. <laughs> but I mean, Westeros is meant to be the size of South America. Is it actually? So George Martin has said. Does that include the lands of the north? Yeah, I guess. I, I, I don't know if that includes everything up to the wall or beyond the wall as well, but like. Yeah. That's the that's Big the land. scale that it's meant to be on, rather than the sort of what I think. I don't know about you, but I certainly, when I first read it, thought it was meant to be maybe like the size of France, maybe slightly bigger. No, I, well, because it's it's got such, or even Britain, because like the Vale is so Welsh. Yeah, well, I feel like that's the regions are sort of on it, right? Yeah, and then you got a little bit of, I guess, southern Europe with with Dawn. So that, that's that's always what I pictured is sort of Spain to Scotland. That's Spain, sort of, Scotland. Yeah, yeah. That sort of stretch is, is always what I pictured in terms of size. Because they've got the wall, which which just maps perfectly to Hadrian's Wall. It's very confusing. It's just to me because if we take King's Landing, which is what, 500,000 people? I don't know. I don't know what any of the populations are meant to be. Which is part of the problem, I think. I can tell you, King's Landing is apparently about 500,000 people. That's obviously the bigger city. Yeah, and then you've got Old Town, which is about the same size, and then you've got places like White Harbour and Sunspear and places and that, which are probably, you know, a few hundred thousand. Yeah, but it's it's really hard to get a sort of scale of all this. This is pre this is pre urbanization as well. So, if there's half yeah. a million people in King's Landing, how many people live in the Crown Lands around King's Landing? Yeah, probably a fair number actually. Probably the same again. 
maybe let's, let's have a look at the Westeros wiki. Does it give us a population? I wonder. Probably not, right? That would be funny, but uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to find that, unfortunately. Anyway, I think we're, <laughs> we're massively gaining off track. Um, 75 million, according to asoiaf.westeros.org. In Westeros. 75 million. The Forum of Ice and Fire. There's a lot of people. You never really get that sense, do you? Uh, population is divided by the provinces as follows. 15 million in the north, 10 million in the Vale, 15 million in the Stormers, 25 in the Reach and the Riverlands, 15 in the Westerlands, 2 in the Iron Islands, and 10 in Dorne. Fuck off, are there 2 million people on the Iron Islands? Yeah, that, all feels, that all feels really high. There's <laughs> just not enough space. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, so this is interesting. One to two percent of its inhabitants armed is as much as a rural society can stand before imploding. So uh, approximately three hundred thousand in the north. This feels more right. Two hundred in the Vale, two hundred in the Riverlands, three hundred in the Westlands, three hundred fifty in the Reach, one fifty in Dorne, one fifty in the Stormlands, and then maybe ten. Oh, was that to maybe 50,000 to 100,000 in the Iron Islands? Yeah, those are more realistic numbers, I think. Yeah. But yeah, at that point, we get into the, the issue. There's, there's so many noble families that. Yeah. There's just a lot of nobility kicking about, I feel, in Westeros, which, you know, make it that what you will, I suppose. That's true. <laughs> but do you true. have a closing statement for us then on why Edmir Tully is an unsung hero? I mean, uh, you, you, you covered the uh, assassination badly, but you didn't attempt to avoid that. Um, do I have a closing statement? Uh, I guess Edmure is an easy target to mock, especially given his portrayal in the show. He's in the show pompous and self-serving, but uh, again carrying an inferior inferiority complex but if you look deeper into his character and his characterization specifically in the books you see someone wrestling with that deepest of questions who am i and what's my place in the world and how do i live up to to the legacy of the people who came before me and you know we might look at that and think that that's worthy of of mockery but i would argue and i think have argued perhaps not successfully that we should be on ed muratelli's side we should look at a man trying to do his best and, and trying to do that which he thinks is his duty especially when what he thinks of as his duty aligns so nicely with sort of classical ideals of the duty of a feudal lord and we should be proud of ed muratelli and we should want more characters in A Song of Ice and Fire to be like Edmure Tully. Stannis is held up, Stannis Baratheon is held up as this great example of what a leader should be. And Stannis Baratheon is an odious incel. By contrast, Edmure Tully 
is the best example on page that we have seen of true chivalry and true feudal values. And we should not shy away from that fact because Benioff and wife are incapable of portraying a character of nuance on screen. Thank you. And thanks for listening. That, folks, <laughs> is exactly why Sean is, in fact, not a litigator. But yes, um, well done. Yeah, uh, I, I must say, I'm impressed that you managed to, to get this far after you didn't have time to write down a script, which is usually what we do for the hot takes. Um, and, and also... I thought that wasn't a bad closing statement. It, it's the sort of closing statement you you give when you know your client is absolutely fucked. <laughs> and I think that more or less sums it all up, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry for not entertaining your idea of you getting me to answer your questions because you know frankly i'm as lazy as you are you, and I, you I completely scuppered my plan my whole idea i, I had the, i had this idea yesterday when so when the baby woke up at um at sort of half an hour into her nap i was like well i'm not gonna be able to write anything now. i'm not gonna have any time so i will i, I will basically do a call and response hot take where i ask lots of leading questions and essentially bring you round to saying, for, essentially find a way to force you to say Edmure Tully. Um, but you refuse to play ball, which is really un- unkind of you. <laughs> it's almost like I don't entertain that kind of fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but nice right. try. Nice try. I, 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 do. Thought it was good, I thought it was a good idea. I do I forgot, I just, I just forgot I just had an absolute dickhead for a co-host. <laughs> I mean, that I is have. something you definitely should have counted on. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I shouldn't have forgotten that. That's one of the universal truths on this show. But um, well done. Um, I'm sure that people will... I'm going to be hearing about this one for weeks. <laughs> yeah, because no one ever agrees with you. So <laughs> I'm sure this time will be no different. I feel like Monkey's going to be really mean to me in our Discord as well. I think he might be. I think he might be. The, the issue is that you're by no means wrong in saying that Ed Muir's character in the TV show was a complete and utter joke. Um, which was just terrible writing. I'm sure there's a hot take episode on how Benioff and Weiss are actually good writers. Um, and we're just too stupid to see it. I I have I have something bubbling around. Mad Queen Danny shouldn't have been unexpected, but uh, I don't know how hot that is. I, this is the thing that's not particularly hot. I don't think. Like, yeah, because well, I, I certainly seem to agree with that to an extent. If we lean on the books very heavily, which we we always must, I guess, but. In a TV show, it, it did come out of nowhere a little bit. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, I think part of it, yeah. The point, that's the something people the want to hear, then I'm sure they can let, let us know. <laughs> let us know, let us know. I won't do it here. And No, I think, no, this, this, this charade has gone on for long enough. So I think all that remains is to say thank you for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. No doubt. No.
I've said some things that were both objectively wrong and downright offensive. As ever, feel free to let us know. Rate the podcast and leave us a comment, or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com. Tweet us at ZR Expertise. Check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com, or come join us on our Discord server. And if you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Next time, you tell us. You decide. Pitch your episode to us in our Discord server, and if we pick your idea, we'll give you a shout-out at the start of the next episode. And of course, join us then for more nonsense. Thank you.